Hey all, and thanks for listening to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from around the Brussels bubble. The European Union is something most of us have only known as existing, and I would hazard to guess that most of my listeners have only lived under the EU's umbrella. And so today we're first going to be taking a trip back 50 years ago to when Ireland joined the EU. Then we're going to travel back to today and examine how public opinion about the EU is in Ireland, how it shifted, and what it means for the years to come. And joining me today to talk about this is Kieran. Tell me about yourself, Kieran. How, how are you doing? Hello there. How's it going? Uh, my name is Kieran O'Driscoll. Uh, I am the Policy and Research Officer uh, from uh, European Movement Ireland. We're a um, Dublin-based uh, NGO and uh, we've been around since uh, 1956. And our main role is kind of to, initially it was to kind of uh, campaign and lobby for Ireland to join the, the then EEC. Uh, and of course, since then, since uh, we joined the EU 50 years ago now, uh, our main aim has been to kind of, you know, um, explain the EU to people, bring people kind of closer together in terms of what the EU does. And uh, we do that through um, publications, podcasts, events, and uh, a whole host of other things. So, so I guess I try to ask everybody this, but how do you find yourself in Brussels today? Because I think you actually hold the honor, not of being the oldest person on here, I'm not going to out you like this, but uh, the, the first person who's not based in Brussels full-time to be coming on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I feel like a bit of a fraud. Uh, <laughs> I arrived just uh, yesterday evening uh, on a Ryanair flight from Dublin, so I'm here with a group of, uh, it's a policy visit uh, from Dublin, the European Commission Representation Ireland organized this uh, trip, there's about 14 of us. Uh, it's largely economics for um, people who kind of study that, so I feel even more of a fraud because I'm more of a generalist policy uh, uh, wonk in terms of EU affairs. Uh, so today we're in the European Commission, we met um, loads of officials who were really insightful about uh, uh, the current economic situation and other kind of detailed areas around taxation and everything else. And then tomorrow we are in the European Parliament uh, and then the Irish Permanent Rep, and then we <laughs> zoom home again. So I'll be in uh, Brussels uh, barely 48 hours. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad you found some time to squeeze in a, a little podcast here. I was so. delighted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I want to start with a bit more of an abstract question, which I didn't prepare for you at all. But I want to know a bit, what does it mean to be Irish within the EU? Because a large focus of the episode will be examining hmm. the Irish relationship with the European Union and a bit how that's evolved, how that's gone through time. For um, Ireland being, being in the EU and how it's evolved, like the the main the main reason why we we joined fifty years ago was to basically come out from under the economic shadow of relying on the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, the Irish state was founded uh, just over hundred years ago uh, in, in 1922, something like ninety five percent of our exports went to the UK, and even by the late sixties, that was still you know around kind of the 60 percent mark. So uh, the reason for joining was to kind of you know you know, increase or, you know, develop Irish sovereignty, which had been established 100 years ago. Uh, and we've and that has been achieved by sharing sovereignty, by joining the European Union, uh, by being, being able to kind of, you know, elevate ourselves from this uh, relatively small country in the world, never, never mind within the EU, to kind of being sitting at an equal level on the decision-making tables with, you know, with um, everyone from Greece, Italy, to Germany and, uh, and, and uh, elsewhere. And it's turned out it has, it has happened. So we've kind of moved away from kind of relying on the UK, uh, although they're still a, a very important partner, and but Brexit has in, uh, enhanced that in terms of uh, you know in terms of the, their share now of Irish exports, it's about nine ten percent. So it's come from almost everything to kind of you know playing you know a much uh, smaller role in Irish output. Um, and as well, the bigger thing that has happened for Ireland is that I suppose EU membership is like it is this kind of you know anchor and shelter for what is a small member state within uh, you know within the international stage, and. Um, 
um, we've seen that probably most recently with all the support we got for Brexit, uh, and still despite despite the many episodes that has encountered with the with Brexit, and then we, you know more 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 recently then with the EU COVID vaccine strategy, where a country like Ireland was able to achieve one of the best vaccine rates in the EU, and had had it been everyone going from themselves to find that kind of find those vaccines, we just wouldn't be able to match the larger, richer uh, the member states that that do exist. So so like that, our membership. Like that started out as being just trying to you know, move away from being relying on the UK, and uh, it, has, it has definitely developed to where now we're this part of this club, and there's that anchor and shelter. And now more than ever, in terms of the international situation, it's important for that. Yeah, it's it's kind of ironic that you're talking about joining a large multinational mm. organization as a form of gaining independence. Which yep, it's it's interesting to think about, and and I mean it, it strikes especially true given I suppose current tensions going on in the world around us in the larger European community tour. Uh, uh, definitely, like there was um, uh, during after the Brexit referendum, there was a lot of people kind of not a lot of people, but there was arguments of like, oh, should Ireland follow uh, the UK out? Um, there's so much you know closeness in, from geography, of course, but culturally, um, financially, even socially, like most Irish people would, you know. I believe took days off to watch the uh, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth there recently, or I think also took time off to watch when Will and Kate got married all those years ago. Mm. So, you know, there's there's strong connections between the two. But um, it was pointed out uh, when these arguments came out of should Ireland leave with the UK, and I remember one person commenting saying, "Well, Ireland leaving the EU would give control back of Ireland to London." Basically, because we'd be again bring us back to history, where we'd be relying on what economic uh, policies are made in in London. And at the moment, would Ireland like to be relying on economic <laughs> policies in the UK? Probably not, due to some re- recent budget uh, announcements there. Well, you know, now we can see there's this kind of the the sovereignty that we achieved um, uh, after the Irish War of Independence is kind of enhanced by sharing of sovereignty between the EU like that. And even uh, when the UK had that referendum in 1975 about leaving at the time. Even at that very early stage, and we'd only been in the EU barely kind of two years, it was already firmly entrenched in kind of the political circles. We're not leaving, even if the UK leaves. Do you think that, uh, I mean, there's always people who criticize steps like this. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of this due to, I guess, domestic politics within Ireland, mm-hmm. which are quite uh, interesting here and there. But do you think that anybody can make an argument that EU membership has been negative for Ireland? And, I mean, I suppose your advocacy working for the European movement in Ireland, it's, it's probably not <laughs> going to be conducive to this opinion. But if there were such naysayers, what would you be your big, you know... Well, the, 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 the biggest thing uh, when it comes to kind of Ireland's membership of the EU, and, and it is a, a drawback and relates very personally to me, would be the Irish fishing industry. Now, they contribute less than 1% of GDP, um, but in terms of kind of peripheral coastal areas where there is no there is no Microsoft going to be based <laughs> down there, there is no there's no kind of pharmaceutical company going to be uh, op- operating out of there. So these are places that rely largely on fisheries and agriculture, and then season then for uh, tourism. So when you look at, and I won't get into the whole history of the common fisheries policy, but when you look at, you know, basically Ireland losing out in terms of that, in terms of share of quotas, is uh, is the biggest thing that's happened there. And then more recently with Brexit, where because of the, the trade and cooperation agreement, um, Ireland has had to transfer quotas to or back to the UK um, as, as part of that agreement. And it's kind of hitting Ireland the most, even though it's a very small industry. Very often when it comes to EU, poli- EU issues with Ireland, some they kind of bubble and they surface taxation, for example, or security and defence yeah. and the issue of neutrality. But fisheries is always this third one that's like, well, they took the fish and, and they, they more or less did. I remember um, speaking to someone who was involved in the negotiations of accession that time 
And I brought up to him saying, like, you know, why did fisheries go that way? Why did, you know, the share, our share of our quotas not, you know, it couldn't have been higher? Or how come access kind of went in favour of maybe uh, other member states? Um, and he says, well, look, we just had to let it go, was his term. And that was because, you know, there was this compromise had to be found with fisheries in favour of, of course, the big, big big winner, of course, was the agricultural sector and the common agriculture policy, and even still to this day, agriculture has this a much more salient resonance in Ireland rather than the fishing industry, even though we're an island. But <laughs> there we go with that. And, and even the hardcore fishermen who, you know, wouldn't, would have not many kind words to say about the European Union, um, even they would recognise that Ireland's membership of the EU has been a success and transformed uh, the society and, and the economy. But they're the one group that just hasn't won. But they do, of course, see the benefits of Ireland being in the EU. Yeah, no, it's always interesting to see where these like uh, trade-offs are being made mm-hmm. in the country. And I mean, coming from Canada, I think we've fought several wars over fish. So I, I can yes, definitely yeah. understand, where this, <laughs> understand where this is coming from. But yeah. I wanted to kind of round out this discussion of 50 years of Ireland-EU. And, and I want to first, I guess, two parts, in mm-hmm. a sense. How did you celebrate 50 years? Do you think that you celebrated that, or that Ireland celebrated that well enough? And what do you think about the next 50 years in mm-hmm. the EU? Any reflections? Uh, well, we're kind of, I suppose the country's kind of still in the process of kind of market, because we officially joined on the 1st of January, 1973. And this year then was the 50th anniversary of signing the accession agreement in January. And then May was 50 years of since the referendum. And I think like, like you would have a lot of government departments, a lot of civil servants, a lot of NGOs kind of are involved in kind of marking it. And we're actually doing it ourselves. We have My EU 50, which is kind of a schools competition. So we're kind of asking young people, you know, who will forever be you know, living within the EU about how, you know, maybe looking at a particular member state and explaining them and exploring their culture. And again, trying to like foster that kind of deeper understanding of other cultures and other issues within the EU. And, you know, kind of feels, you know, falls into kind of the EU's motto of united and diversity, which is what the EU is. Um, um, so we're so that's why one project for ourselves at European Movement Ireland are, uh, and we're actually excited about how that will turn out uh, later in the year. Um, but it, I was even even reading up that when Ireland joined in uh, January 1973, there was no like parades, there was no kind of jubilation. I think it was a very like quiet and muted celebration. I think the most thing that happened there was a national tree planting um, ceremony uh, by the Taoiseach, um, the, our Prime Minister, and then I think anyone born on the 1st of January 1973 got a medal to kind of mark, well, you're the first <laughs> Irish kids to be born into what is uh, what has become the European Union. Um, so I think for most people, uh, the reflection will come next year when it'll be the official 50 years. And I think it'll come at a time as well when uh, the Irish state is, has just marked its um, centenary. So come next year, will be longer in the EU than out as an independent mm. state uh, when we left the UK. So I think that'll kind of start you know, people thinking about, you know, uh, you know, what have we done? And then like looking towards the next 50 years, uh, the next 50 years, I think, will be dealt with the absence of the UK, um, where um, for a very long time, I suppose, issues like, like that taxation, security and defence, kind of Ireland and the UK, we kind of had shared uh, many common positions on those. And I think Ireland should maybe not hide behind, but would kind of stand to the side with the UK on that. So there was many more issues that is involved with uh, being in the EU. But these are the kind of the two that kind of always kind of uh, stick out, particularly when there's ever an EU referendum in Ireland. It's always uh, security and defence and the issue of neutrality and taxation. Um, So those and how they'll evolve. And uh, we've seen developments as we speak in terms of Russia's invasion of, of um, Ukraine, there'll be, you know, bound to be changes and with that down the line in terms of uh, st- strategic autonomy and uh, how the EU progresses on security and defence. 
And then taxation, which has kind of moved to the OECD level, as we saw with the corporate taxation um, uh, agreement earlier this year, has kind of you know shown how Ireland has, has changed on that. So those will be the big ones. And at, at present, we just don't know how those will pan out. But um, it'll it'll involve much greater engagement, not just from like the uh, political class um, or the civil society, but from people in general in terms of what do they want of Ireland to do within security and defence. So I think events outside Ireland, um, and again, far from Ireland, and I guess, you know, when it comes to security and defence, you know, uh, we have a very benign neighbour. Uh, no one issues with Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Of course, there's issues there. But, you know, we're not in the situation of Ukraine of, you know, fearing invasion from, from a neighbour. So a lot of Irish people would have loved, uh, s- uh, s- solidarity with people from Ukraine. Um, so those would be the big issues that I think uh, the next 50 years that Ireland will, you know, have to have greater in- engagement with. Yeah, kind of building its own, I guess, identity, maybe not even beyond the EU, but maybe within, in a sense, mm-hmm. establishing itself within those security parameters, those taxation, yep. getting its voice back, I suppose. Yep, definitely with that military neutrality, and Irish people are quite proud about it. Um, a big thing that, while we wouldn't have much in terms of, you know, standing armies and everything else, we're very proud of our peacekeeping uh, initiatives through the UN over the years, and they're going back, you know, decades. So we kind of express that military neutrality through those peacekeeping missions, um, and which was a big reason why we managed to get our current seat on the UN Security Council. Um, so like that, if reassurance is there that military neutrality will be looked after, which I suspect it will, and this has come up in every uh, EU mm-hmm. referendum recently, where, you know, if it was you know Nice or Lisbon or anything else that, like, if we say yes to this, we'll be pulled into an EU army, and turns out <laughs> we haven't, and there's been guarantees with this over the years and everything else. So once that can be reinforced, largely, again, I imagine, when that, when that kind of debate does come around, uh, I think people would be happy to kind of adjust and participate uh, within that. Yeah, and I'm seeing more and more parallels between, I suppose, my the land I grew up in Canada and mm. Ireland, where we're also very proud of our peacekeeping yes. background <laughs> and our our repeated attempts to like be cozy to our larger neighbor mm. um, and our you know relatively safe position, but still lack of position in the world. Mm. Interesting. But before we ramble on on reflecting on Ireland <laughs> for f- 50 years worth of content. Uh, I think your organization has been doing something really interesting, Kiara, something called the 2022 Red Sea Ireland in the EU poll, which kind of grabs perspectives of Irish citizens on the EU's activities at large. Do you want to tell me a bit about what this poll is? Because I'll, I'll link in the description too. It's definitely worth a glance. Yeah, perfect. Um, so since 2013, we've done uh, this poll from Red Sea Research Ireland uh, in the EU. And it's, again, exploring maybe Irish attitudes to different EU issues. While there is the Eurobarometer, which is a rich um, background yeah. in terms of catalogues of questions, we'd be the only kind of you know domestic Irish organisation who does this on an annual basis. And initially it was born out of when Ireland uh, held the rotating presidency of the Council of the EU in, at the first half of uh, 2013. And then along came that little thing called Brexit, uh, <laughs> which propelled you know more questions to be probed around that issue. Since then, we've been able to kind of spread into more issues as Brexit has, well, relatively moved into the background. There are other issues that uh, we focus on. I'm sure I can go through maybe two or three. There's 10 questions and I won't, yeah. I won't go through every single one of them. Yeah, um, but I really do want to get like your thoughts on some of the highlights of mm. where Irish perspective on mm. the EU lies and the larger issues that have been. So feel free. What, would, what, do, you think your, what do you think your biggest takeaway was from this poll? Um, it was actually the first question uh, in it where we kind of asked, is the EU moving in the right direction? So it's our second time asking this. And for me, it's the other side of uh, another question that we asked. We had another poll, uh, again, of, of uh, the Red Sea poll, 
uh, was released back in May. Uh, and we did ask, you know, should Ireland continue to be a member of the EU? Mm-hmm. And it went up to like, I think it was about 85, 86% saying, yes, Ireland should remain a member, um, which is great to see and uh, always encouraging. But the question when we asked then, is the EU moving in the right direction? We found that 56% of people uh, had said that, yes, it is moving in the right direction. And that's up about 3% from last year. So they're kind of, it's that direction question is kind of the other side of the coin. While people are very happy to be within the EU, um, they do view it at the moment, well, you know, there's a comfortable majority of people saying it is going the right direction. Um, and I'd love to I'd love to be able to understand, you know, what's that from? You know, how do people engage with the EU when, it, you know, when like you and me were kind of sitting in it? Yeah. Literally, you are sitting in it. <laughs> well, Brussels, yeah. you know. But <laughs> um, do you know what other people who I just think of my parents were, you know, how does this kind of filter down to them? And I'd, I'd like to think maybe it's the EU's response to helping Ukraine because of Russia's invasion of their country or because of the EU vaccine strategy that those are things that have kind of filtered down the people realize, yes, it, it, you know, it is doing a, a good job in terms of, you know, not everyone will be engaged on you know, the EU Chips Act or the EU Media Freedom Act that was, uh, that's going to be published. But in terms of those kind of big ticket stuff that people kind of grabs their attention that, uh, uh, you know, it, it highlights maybe that what the EU does, while sometimes, you know, complex and cumbersome at times that it, uh, uh, that it does kind of feed down in positive light. Um, I should say, of course, that it is, debate is healthy. I come from a fishing background, as I was saying uh, earlier in the podcast. So, like, criticisms are necessary. And we saw that, of course, earlier on this year with the conference in the future of Europe, where we had a wide variety of opinions uh, on that. Uh, another question I can uh, highlight, and we asked this question in 2019 when it was about about 85%, but we asked again, you know, has uh, the euro been a good thing for Ireland? And again, we're um, we're in the euro 20 years, uh, we're one of the founding members, so it was 85% in 2019, and it had dropped to uh, 72% when we asked uh, just in uh, the, when August when we, when we did the survey. And um, I was trying to understand, you know, wh- why is this going on and everything else? And uh, through some research that I found, it you know it turns out people's kind of uh, economic situation impacts how they view the single currency. And the, the research I kind of looked at your barometer polling around the, the the euro from like 2012, 2013, the kind of the tail end of uh, the of the last recession to about 2019. Um, so before COVID and all things to do with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and they the research did indicate in terms of. Once employment and inflation are down and people's economic situation is is good, then they are supportive of the euro. So at the moment, when we're entering a time of high inflation at the moment and employment, thankfully, is um, is still relatively stable and has still been declining because of the of the reopening since um, since the lockdowns have been lifted. Um, it will be interesting to see where that sentiment goes in a couple of years' time. You know, uh, and this is an important indicator when you think of again. Not all the, Europe, the EU doesn't come down and sit in people's laps uh, very often in terms of what it does. So their main interaction with it is literally through their pockets and, and their wallets or their purses. And as you know, the EU collectively faces into what is going to be a very difficult winter and likely uh, well into next year. Uh, the economic indicators are you know not clear in terms of uh, when the when when inflation will uh, start to decrease. So it's important as an indicator to understand what people are viewing or thinking about the euro and the wider European project. If their economic uh, situation de- you know, declines, do they feel like, well, if we had sell of the Irish pound, maybe we could have managed things better? Or, you know, <laughs> really? Go- yeah, yeah. Man, it's, it's very <laughs> unlikely not. Um, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it was just one thing that did stand out for me in terms of how people, you know, there was that sharp decline from 85% uh, in 2019 to 72% just uh, this August. And um, it'd be interesting another two, two, 
uh, two or three years time to ask this question again. Will yeah. you know? Will people? Will their situation have uh, changed or improved, or will that will that seventy two percent be kind of stuck there? So these are kind of things that stick sometimes in terms of experiences. So yeah. that's something to, to to think about. Yeah, and you can definitely link that perhaps even to like the cost of living crisis, yep. which again you you pulled about, and I think it was like ninety percent, eighty six percent that were yes, I'm pretty concerned, which is normal across Europe nowadays, but. Mm. I, I would suspect to see more drops in the confidence within the euro then, but I'm glad that we didn't see corresponding drops within the trust in the EU, mm. which is interesting. Which is, yeah, it's, uh, and very often, uh, this is reflected kind of in Eurobarometer pro- polling as well, that kind of people EU's, uh, people in the EU, their trust of the EU institutions is generally higher than national authorities and governments, uh, which is uh, uh, always a fascinating find, uh, considering, you know, national governments are closer to their people rather than uh, the institutions and democratic deficit and everything else that uh, comes with that um, such as uh, so it 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 it'll be interesting over the next couple of year you know two to three years in terms of polling and seeing how how things change and you know it's, uh, the sooner or uh, like it's a ideal opportunity for the EU to respond to this to engage to reassure people the same way you know you couldn't get away from coverage around next generation EU funding of that 800 mm-hmm. billion you know which came so soon July 2020 uh, so if the EU does again get the responses right where people aren't you know you know hurt economically compared to 2010 and 2011 and coming from a country that was bailed out both by the EU and the IMF that you know there are recent memories around that experience and uh, if the EU can can get that right in terms of their response to the to the to the current crisis then uh, it'll be again another win for the EU and again enhancing trust and support and all those benefits that will come from that yeah yeah no we're, we're lingering a little bit on the results here which, which are fascinating though mm. and they're very like digestible because the the, the re- final report you have is very infographic style mm. and so i'll definitely link that below and i encourage everybody to, to check that out and i mean it's also really unique to, or really neat to see i guess the support for ukraine and mm. i guess the rising support also for the expanding the eu mm. which I think is going to be one of the big debates to come, and which I'll have an episode out end of October. So if you're a long-term listener, oh, I'm excited <laughs> check already. Out, check out, <laughs> watch out for that. But I want to connect this all a bit together. I don't know if you want to go off to the Ukraine point, but more to this question, up to you. Hmm. But I want to ask you about, we recently had the 2022 State of Union, which any Europhile yes. would know about. <laughs> <laughs> and Wonderland, she outlined her points and her plan for the EC for the next year. Do, do you think this relates well to the results you've seen within the poll you did uh, on Ireland? Because mm-hmm. my perspective listening to the speech was that I thought it mapped on very well onto what I read from the most recent Eurobarometer. So I want to see if that's similar, if this testing of the water kind of relates to the... Mm. Well, on, while people like you and me would be very engaged about the State of the Union and everything else, I'd say for most Irish people, <laughs> this thing went by, I think, without people being familiar with this, which is unfortunate when most Irish people would be would be will tune, will tune into the U.S. State of the Union, I guess, or whatever ungodly or that is held. Um, while this thing, which you know directly relates to uh, Irish people, I mean, Biden is a Catholic, so it, well, this is it, <laughs> and like quoting Irish poets left, right, and center. Um, and and, and it's, it we're actually it's good timing that we have someone from Ireland. He will claim that he's from Ireland, more from the U.S., particularly when uh, dealing all things to do with the protocol and everything else. Uh, but with the State of the Union, there was maybe two two issues that pro- 
probably didn't feature in it that were included in the poll. Security and defence was largely absent from the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. And always with the State of the Union, it's always what she doesn't say says more than what she actually does say. And security and defence was something that uh, wasn't mentioned. And from our poll, we did ask, you know, because the changing security situation, should there be increased Irish um, security and defence spending, an increase in the, def- in the defence spending? And 50, 50%, so the bare, uh, the majority, did say yes. Um, so I think it would be interesting how she included maybe something more developments around that, considering of the war within Ukraine at the moment, would there be some changes around that? Because I think most Irish people like that would be pick up on it quite quickly. Again, the issue that we yeah. talked about, the, the neutrality. Um, and then the other thing which was largely absent, or there was kind of hint, you know, it, it was mentioned, but you know, was around the the environment, mm-hmm. um, was largely uh, was you know wasn't very heavy on that. And I know, and we did actually ask uh, an, uh, another question: Should EU member states delay meeting EU environmental targets to meet the energy crisis th- at the moment? And fifty eight percent of people said, in, in Ireland with our poll said yes, they should. So I think there would have been it's a maybe maybe that's the only one that does kind of reflect where I think. The, start, the short-term gains are put ahead of those long-term gains and, and everything with the environment is long-term in terms of uh, planning and meeting uh, those obligations. Um, so uh, I would have liked to see maybe more, I thought this might have been a moment where because of the energy crisis, was she going to do mm-hmm. something in terms of rolling out new initiatives to maybe like you know speed up the uh, transition and everything else, um, but unfortunately it wasn't. And you can understand why with, it was a, been a busy uh, time since our last State of the Union, but uh, those are two things which um, did stand out. Um, there's, there's one other you missed, actually, oh, which, which even you skimmed over. Oh, which one your, your tenth question, the common agriculture <laughs> policy. There is no agriculture in the State of Union, which no. some people, including my guest next week, will be quite enraged about. So uh, I look forward to listening to that next week. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing too much promotion because I've been too on, you know, I've been too in tune in getting these guests aligned. But uh, yeah. I think I want to wrap this up a little mm-hmm. here because we've been going for a good while. I think we've been having a great discussion on what Ireland, you know, is mm. what the role in the EU is and how it's been. And I kind of want to pull the two questions together and ask you, if you did a similar survey in 1972-73 and today, how do you think public opinion has shifted and do you attribute that to not even changing social climates but maybe just being in the EU? Do you think EU has been a force for good for Ireland as a whole, which I know you'll agree <laughs> with, but how? <laughs> uh, um, so like when we when the referendum took place in May 1972, I think the turnout was something like 73% and of those who turned out, 85% yes to joining the uh, European Economic Community. And our poll, when asked in May this year, should Ireland continue to be a member of the EU, it was like 86, 87 percent. So, you know, 50 years later, the support levels are still there. I think, as I was saying earlier, the biggest thing that, unlike unlike the UK, when, you know, it has this nostalgic past, it is a permanent member of the Security Council, it has the, the history of empire and everything else. Mm-hmm. Ireland doesn't quite have that, you know, golden, <laughs> and I use it in Russia, come as golden past. There's this whole 800 years of colonization, which we just don't have time to get into today. So for ourselves, we see our future within the EU as a way to, and we join because in the 50s, 60s, it was a conservative, cold, agrarian, you know, society um, versus now where it is the centre of many, you know, tech companies in terms of Dublin. Quality of life has um, gone up dramatically in terms of the, the, the decades since. So the fruits of our membership have borne out 50 years later. And as I said uh, earlier on, the thought of leaving just because the UK did has been put to bed, <laughs> uh, as we can see in terms of our, our, our news feeds, because no one wants 
London, inverted commas, to take control of um, Ireland. Mm -hmm. We did that for long enough. We didn't enjoy it. And we're very happy to be, you know, at the heart of Europe, as uh, we often say, with our membership of the EU. And uh, that's not going to change over the next 50 years anyway. We hope. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to end off on one more fun question, Mm because I'd like to add a more personal question, which you can give a spontaneous answer to, right? (laughs) God help me. (laughs) And it's somewhat related to Ireland. Mm. What's Ireland missing? Like, if you could add one thing, if you could be some kind of godlike figure and add one thing to your beautiful coastal piece of rock, <laughs> what would you be adding here? And don't say fish. I know you're a fisherman <laughs> from the past. Well, there's enough there. Um, oh, God. Um, my mind is split between two. It is, uh, you know, a little bit less rain. Not too much to, like, you know, annoy mm. the farmers, but just a little bit less rain. I said what's missing. Don't take something <laughs> away. That's part of the yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, we, we, we'd certainly have a few more uh, sunny days. Um, if I if I could, like, click my fingers, and it's, it's such a dull thing to say, I suppose it would, you know, change up how people view transportation. We're a bit, a bit mm. like Brussels, car-dependent, heavy out, and I would love for in a country which is like, you know, greater accessibility, particularly in rural areas, you know, be it a bus or tram or train um, for people to get around more because I, I don't drive and I come from a rural area. And if you don't have a car, you ain't getting far mm. in, in uh, places like that. So that's for me, I wish would change. And we're, we're, there's slow changes coming with it at the moment uh, around kind of, you know, um, cycling and that kind of infrastructure. Um, but I would wish that would be the case um, and, and that comes from a place of making the country more accessible for more people to you know make sure they're able to have a better quality of life um, so that's where that's my dull <laughs> dull thing I mean, you'd like to change to be honest again mirroring the Canadian Irish you know mm. I guess brotherhood in a sense mm. I would say probably the same thing because that, that's <laughs> what having done my masters in the Netherlands that's what I probably would miss the most going yeah. back to Canada now which I mean I'd, I'd want to be the bu- in the bubble a bit longer mm. you know ah uh, go on <laughs> yeah but I think we're wrapping up. Do you mm. want to say some final words, get some people to read your report, a, fin- a final plug, if you will? Uh, I most certainly will. Uh, there's two things that I will briefly plug from European Movement Ireland. Uh, I'm sure many of you will know of the Blue Book traineeship uh, booklet. For Ireland, we have the Green Book, uh, which, really? is, which is available to non-Irish people, of course, and it gives tips generally for kind of early career people within uh, Brussels how to navigate the application process, um, social clubs and everything else. So you might be confused about, you know, the Gaelic Athletic Association. And what's it all about? So you can read more about that, if you like, in the Green Book, which is available online. Uh, and also, uh, which is by far one of our best-selling, <laughs> if you can call it that, uh, items would be our EU jobs list, hmm. uh, which goes out every Thursday and it uh, floods our website with viewers because people do find it very good for uh, as a resource. And uh, many uh, policy stagiaire that we have has been pinched <laughs> because they have found a job on it. So um, for those who be listening in, um, I'd recommend the EU Green Book and our EU Jobs List. Perfect. Well, I'm sure people should find it out on your website, European Movement Ireland, plugged into your favorite search engine. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining me, Kieran. I really enjoyed my time and I'm really looking forward to going to Dublin tomorrow, which uh, is coincidentally a work trip for me. So <laughs> I, I'm excited as Irish week of mine kind of lined up this way. <laughs> and we made it through a podcast with an Irishman without mentioning hurling. So that's always... Ah, uh, well, now we have to host our No, 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 no. <laughs> now, now we're finishing. So thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time and goodbye. Slango fall.